0: Welcome to Word is Truth, we're continuing, this is Doug Presley, we're continuing with the service uh, that we began uh, with. we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer.
1: Okay, and here we have the thought of the week, starting out with a couple of versions before we go into the thought itself. One is from 2 Corinthians 5.19, which says, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. To John 2.2, two. he, Christ, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. From both passages above, we can see that God the Father imputed the sins of the world to Christ on the cross and is propitiated or satisfied with the work of Christ on our behalf. If he was not satisfied, then no one in the human race could be saved. What I find as I speak with people about this, they may not be satisfied, they may not be satisfied with. Christ's work. They limit, diminish, and even reject the fact that Christ paid for all their sins in full, even though they have not committed them yet. They would rather work hard, trying to be good enough for God to save them. Of course, they fail to see the bad news about themselves and their inability to be righteous. What they try to fix are the shortcomings they can see If they can improve and maintain their standard of righteousness before God. They expect God will respect their offering. But God has already spoken, quote, there is no one righteous, not even one, unquote. Taken from Romans chapter 3, verse 10. God is only satisfied with the work of Christ quote and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom i love with whom i am well pleased unquote and that's taken from mark 1 verse 11. and we were also told as we read in bible god the father asked us listen to him and here's my commentary on the thought of the week two weeks ago we saw that salvation is absolutely free Salvation is by the grace of God, it is the gift of God through faith, and it's not of work, so that no one can boast. Last week, we saw that this gift is absolutely irrevocable. What a powerful assurance as well that we have, that no one can snatch them out of Christ's hands, and and no one can snatch them out of his Father's hands, and no one's stronger than his Father. In that regard, salvation is eternal, and yet Christ reminds us, We shall never perish. This week, we see that the payment of sin is both full and complete. It's complete and finished. For us, personal sins are not even on the table for salvation. It's like trying to offer to help clean up the dirty dishes after a big feast, and they've already been cleaned and put away. What are you going to do? Take them out of the cabinet and clean them again? Why? Not only is it wasteful in terms of time and energy and focus, it pleases no one. Right. In fact, it could actually be offensive to the one who did clean the dishes. Mm-hmm. And for us, for our sin, that dishwasher is Christ. And that's yes. my commentary on a thought of the
2: week. And that Bill, will give us prayer. Amen. Amen. Time for prayer. If anyone standing in need
0: or knows someone, this is the time that we request. So, uh, Bill, I was just thinking, obviously, we've been praying for uh, the Myers family. But I'm also asking for prayer for the organizers, those whose hands are working hard to put all this together, asking to lift them up in prayer as well.
2: We can bow our, anyone else? Alright, if we can bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you once again, O oh Father, for you have set us in the presence of such a great salvation. For you, O oh Lord, who is all in all, for you have gave your only begotten son for the entire humanity. We thank you, O oh Lord, and you have given him to those especially that believe. For we are those chosen through, oh O Lord. We pray now, Father, that you allow us to be able to extend this great salvation for all that were here, O oh Father. We pray for the Myers family. We pray for the partakers and the helpers of this funeral that is about to bestow uh, upon us on this Tuesday, Father. We pray for all of Word's Truth Church. We pray for the whole family, O oh Lord. God, we extend ourselves to being open, that you can bless us, O oh Father, with all that you have in store for us. Give us open minds and open hearts, that we may receive your spirit in a way that is pleasing to your sight, O oh Lord, that we may walk in a way that is worthy. In Jesus' name, I ask. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. <clears throat> Thank you for all that. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Dwight. appreciate that. So we are going to move forward. Uh, if you have notes, in John 17, 15 is where we are. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, <clears throat> but that you protect them from the evil one. So when I think of our Lord's prayers for the church's protection in this world, it should remind us of how dangerous The world is for us. We are not living here in our own provision and strength. We need divine protection to be here. Knowing this, we should value our time here on the battlefield. What will we do? What will be our testimony? If you are reading these words now, the record of our earthly pilgrimage is still being written. Quote, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So that is one of my favorite scriptures, (laughs) one of them. So you might see that a lot, just giving you a heads up here, but, uh. So we're we're going to try to look at that one verse. This is John seventeen fifteen about Christ's Christ's prayer for the church, and it just stems from eleven too, where he talked about. I will, this is John seventeen eleven, where he says, "I will remain in the world no longer, but but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one." So we, we spent some time on that verse, I remember, but that protect them was there by the power of your name. It's important. We need protection in this world. And um, so we're going to talk about this verse going forward. Let's go to the first point. My prayer is... So my prayer, Jesus continues to pray for the church's protection in the world. If you were wondering what was on Jesus' mind before he departed... It was the church. And when I think about that, a lot of people don't associate Jesus' last comments, you know. And like I said, it used to be if you watch these old movies where the person, you know, is shot or is dying and then they there's the scene where they lift their head up and they say, Oh, are you there? and the person opens their eyes and they have these last words and And it's so touching, right? Well, these were Jesus' last words. This This is it. When he left, what was he thinking about? What was on his mind? And it was about the church. He had talked to the disciples at length, trying to prepare them, trying to introduce them to what was ahead. And what was ahead? A new dispensation. Christ said, on this rock I will build my church, and all of that was ahead for the disciples. This new information—he he had much more to tell them, more than they could now bear. So, but when he had talked about the Spirit of Truth coming and uh, establishing himself in the world, so as a, a a medium, so that Christ could come through him and continue to teach the church. So point b in our notes if jesus is praying for the establishment and preservation of the church then we need prayer but just think about it, it jesus is not just saying this you know while some people say things in prayer are just okay this is a popular thing that people say i'm going to include that in my prayer that's not the point jesus is praying to the father about us and it's important uh-oh. I think we just need to... I do hear some background noise. Stand by. I'm just going to put it... Wait a minute. I do hear some background noise. If you... Wait a minute. I'll just put you on mute. Okay. So, as I was saying, let's get back to where we were. So, yeah, this... Think about it. Jesus is praying for the establishment and preservation of the church. We need, this. We need to have this as a thought. One, we need prayer. <laughs> prayer is important. And when we think about the prayers that we have, it's sort of routine a lot of times. Oh, we pray for this, we pray for that. Lord, thank you this, thank you that. But Christ thought enough about what was important here that he prayed to the Father about it. Father, protect them. Father, keep them safe. Why? Because we're living in enemy territory. We're on the battlefield. And that leads us to point C. We need divine intervention for us to live in this world. It is not just, well, we're just here and nobody knows we're here and we're just sort of like below the radar of, people's consciousness about who we are in Christ and all of that. No. We need divine intervention for us to be here. You can't live in this world as a believer, as a believer in Christ, and think that you are living in your own power. Like, I'm making my way. I found that job that I like, and now I'm working at that job, and everything is going well. And uh, as long as I keep my low profile, I'll be fine. No, that's not it at all. You are not of this world. And we covered that last week. And all of uh, the thought about how we're living here, yes, but we're not part of what's going on down here. We're, We're in this world, yes, but we're not of this world. We belong somewhere else. And we're just here And that would tell us that we have a mission to accomplish. So we need divine intervention. Literally, God has to support us here. It's like what Theme used to say. He's a Bible teacher. He said we need logistical support. And he made an army analogy out of it. Like if if an army sends you into enemy territory behind the line somewhere, and there you are, If there is no logistical support for you, what's going to happen? The enemy will cut off the supply lines. You won't have any more bullets. You won't have any more food, any of the supplies, any medicals. You won't have anything. You wouldn't be able to survive. And that is one way. In fact, that was a strategy of, of war. If they could cut off your supply line, then that is a way they could defeat you. So in this case... We don't just have supply line. In other words, God has to sustain us and provide for us here in the world, but he also has to protect us. I don't know if you thought of it that way, but let's think of it that way. He has to protect us while we're here in the world. Now, why would you say that, Doug? Well, I'm saying that because Jesus is praying for our protection. It's not my thought. This is Jesus' thought to the Father. Father, protect the church. Listen, we're getting ready to start something big. But, but I'm praying for your overarching protection over our plans. And that's exactly what he's praying for. Point D, I just want to give you, now even though this is in the Old Testament, if you know where the book of Job is, let's go there. It's right before Psalm, so, you know, for the book of Psalms. So the book of Job... We're in chapter 1, and I just want to read, and this is a day in the life of Job. This is some highlights in one day in the life of Job. So we're going to read from, start at verse 7, and read down to verse 22. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered. I'm skipping a lot, so hopefully you know the story. If you don't, you're going to have to go back and read the context. So, so then it says, um, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. What he's really saying there is, this is my domain. <laughs> I'm monitoring what goes on there. It's, it's my authority. I'm in a charge down there. Then, verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no, no one like him, no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does God does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you put have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Now notice that. Satan is recognizing already. Does Satan know who Job is? Yes, he does. God is not pointing out Job and Satan says, you know, I never knew there was a Job. Where did, let me see. I'm going to have to go check Job out. No, Satan already knows about Job. And what else does he know? That God put a hedge around his household and everything he has. And not only that, you have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. So Satan fully is aware of who Job is, fully. And it's not a surprise to him at all, but he's saying this to God. Well, listen, of course I know about Job. Not only do you protect him, and you provide for him, you sustain him, and you have blessed him abundantly. So don't don't think I don't know this. So verse 11 But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely cause you, curse you to your face. Now, so what he's saying now is, God, well, the only reason Job really serves you is because of what you have given him. Right? He's only in it for the blessings. Now, I I would accuse some believers of that today—that the way they talk, what this whole prosperity thing. They're only in it for what they can get out of it. That's it. But now, Job, this is what Satan is saying about him. This is the only reason why he serves you the way he does is because you blessed him. Like you're a sugar daddy for Job. You provide everything for him. Verse 12. The Lord said to Satan. Now, first of all, and then he wanted the Lord to strike everything he has and take it away. So the Lord said to Satan, very well then then everything he has is in your power but the man himself do not lay a finger right you can't touch him but everything else is within your power satan so you can you can go ahead and do what you think is you will do and let's just see let's go ahead and test this out then satan went out from the presence of the lord now so this is the setup And so now we're going to talk about the one day in Job's life when things began to happen. Watch this, verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans uh, attacked and made off with them. In other words, this is monetarily affecting job you you lost all of your donkeys and you know your flocks which were grazing nearby all right so this is this is bad they put the servants to the sword the servants that were there overseeing so now he lo- lost his workforce uh, the servants to the sword and i am the only one who has escaped to tell you so Satan did leave one servant alive so that he could deliver the bad news to Job. And it's interesting that this, it says in verse 16, while he was still speaking, it's the same day, the first guy is still trying to tell Job all the stuff that went down. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens, it's probably lightning, right? And burned up the sheep and the servants, And I am the only one who escaped to tell you. So, in other words, the same thing that happened. The first guy, while he was speaking, another guy comes up and he tells him of more calamitous things that are happening to Job, right? And Job is sitting there taking this all in. He's probably, his head is on a swivel probably right now. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, and this is the second guy still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on the camels and made off with them. In other words, they put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. So again, Job is spinning. Wow, wow, some more devastating news. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, while that guy was, and Satan probably planned all of this so that Job would just have a complete breakdown, like, it would just be overwhelming so that he couldn't even function. He would then curse God and why would you let this all happen to me, right? This is Satan's thinking, right? Yet another messenger came and said, now this is tough. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking at the wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Now at this, Job got up, tore his robe, which is a sign of total humility and, you know, uh, abasement, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all of this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing." So it's interesting. So I read all that to say, how does it relate to our passage? It relates because Job needed protection. And one day, all of these things happened. Let's take any one of us, right? For a moment, we could say, "Okay, okay, all right." So you got this job, you got this house you live in, you got this truck or car you drive, you got all of these things that is, seems normal to you. But in one day, if God were to remove His protecting hand from us, we would not be able to live in this world. Satan could monetarily bankrupt us. He could as you as you know he could cause all sorts of things if God allows it and um, and if Satan had his way he would destroy us he knows where we are so I'm saying without the divine protection of the Father we would not survive in this world so when we think about Jesus's prayer it just reminds me of point F is the proper attitude. And this is the scripture. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And this is, uh, you know, when we say giving thanks, we're understanding what the Father has done, the protection that is over our lives while we're here in this world. We're recognizing the dangerous Place that we happen to be in, right? We're, we're recognizing the battlefield that we're on. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, says Ephesians six. So this is all a part of the divine protection, and, and we have to really consider that. And 1 Thessalonians, let's read that five eighteen. First Thessalonians five eighteen this is another common passage. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In all circumstances, because, listen, we wouldn't be here, we would be destroyed if Satan had his way. The fact that we are here, living, breathing, walking around, means that God has provided another day for our lives. And it is all courtesy of the grace of God. We're here because God is protecting us. Now that's that's something to note in your life. So we're headed to point G. When God revealed his eternal purpose, which for ages was kept hidden in God, and we begin we begin this new dispensation. Just remember, Satan also begins to focus his attention on God's highest priority. If we know that God's highest priority is the church and the new dispensation, what God is, the Father is doing and fulfilling his eternal purpose. And when we say eternal purpose, we're not just saying, oh, this is just one of his plans. You know, I've heard people just sort of like, oh yeah, he has his plan for his earthly people and he has his plan for heavenly people. They say it like that, like it's like one hand or the other it's just you know they're they're weighing it like yeah we just we just happened to be on this side they happen to be on that side no everything revolves around god's the father's eternal purpose and everything that happens in order to facilitate that is a component part of god's eternal purpose this the church is god's eternal purpose According to Ephesians 3 So just to note, we are God's highest priority. Do you think this has escaped Satan's thought as well? He certainly is aware of all of this. So we're continuing in our notes. So Christ says, my prayer, the fact that he's even praying for us in this area of protection and security and preservation is important for us to know. But then, here's what he's, he's praying. Not that you take them out of the world. So let's look at that phrase. So taking, the first thought is, taking us out of the world will be to remove us from present danger. Well, we're in danger. Right? We're, we're on the battlefield. Well, the, and our prayer should reflect the seriousness and the times of where we are and what we're, how we're living in this world whatever we have, when we didn't have to be born in the United States, at God could have, the watch said, my watch answered, he said, I said, wherever we are, they said, you're at, and he started telling me my address, shh, so anyway, wherever we are, in the world, doesn't have to be, uh, where we are in the United States, God has believers in every nation, I would say, not that I know this, because I know the, the details, but God knows all the details. There is no nation of God now. Believers are in every nation. That's the church. So, uh, wherever we are, God is providing protection, provision, sustenance for us, logistical support, as we might say, for us. All of that is so. He has to. I mean, if He has us and He puts us someplace, He has to provide for us. If He wants us to. To be a witness for him, he has to, He's responsible to provide for us. So that's it, just keeping that in mind. So point B, removing us from the danger of this world will be would not be aligned with the Father's eternal purpose. It would not. So he's going to keep us in this world, and I'm going to read John 15:26 and 27 in that regard. John 15. 26 and 27. It really wouldn't be God's plan for us. Here, 26 says, when the advocate comes, the advocates the Holy Spirit, right, the Spirit of truth, the comforter, when he comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So he's got work to do, right? The, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, he will testify about me. And We saw that a lot of that in John sixteen eight through 11, where he talks about when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment, right? And then it goes on, of sin, because they believe not in me. But, so he definitely will testify about Christ, and this is to the whole world. But then he says in verse 27, and you also must testify, for I have been with you, for you have been with me from the beginning. So, so we have work to do, and obviously he's talking to the disciples there, but they're the foundation of the church. So we, not only do they have a testimony for, uh, and, and a need to continue in this world, so do we. If we are here, that means God expects that we will testify also. We will bear witness to the truth of what he has done or what he is doing in this world. We will testify Point C in our notes. The process of bringing many sons into glory through this world is necessary. So God could just say, well, I'm not going to take you through Adam and spiritual death and condemnation and unrighteousness and sin and all that. I'm not going to take you through all that. I'm just going to bring many sons into glory. No, that's not how he does it. That That is not it at all. So when I read Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, which I'm going to read... Um, Ephesians 1. It talks about it so succinctly. I mean, it's so clear when you read 13 and 14. I don't know how you could just not fully understand this process. So here it is. And you also were included in Christ. Now, included in Christ is a reference to the baptism of the Spirit. That's how you get to be in Christ. You were included in Christ when And now this when is important because it talks about the actual time when you were included in Christ. Stand by. I just want to, let's just mute. Let's make sure we mute. Mute your phone if if you're joining. So this when talks about the moment you got in Christ. I love this. So it says when you heard the message of truth what's the message of truth that's the gospel that's the good news but you probably had to know the bad news before you got the good news just to know <clears throat> the gospel of your salvation which is that is what the message of truth is then it says here another when here a when puts a time on it right so you heard the message of truth when you believe now you might not have be- you might have heard the message of truth and then did not believe when you did finally believe, and that's in my case, I'm, I'm, I heard the gospel the first time I rejected it. I was like, no, that's not true. mm nope, won't, I won't believe that. That's not, the, that's not the way I heard it. I can't believe that. That's what happened when I heard the gospel. And many times I'm given a personal testimony here. This is not the kind of testimonies you hear in church. Like, yeah, I was this and I was that. No, when I heard the gospel, I said, no, that can't be true. That I said, it's too good to be true. I said, this, that can't be so. But when I finally believed, when you finally believed, finally got the understanding, the Holy Spirit made that real to you, and you got it, and you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, Guaranteeing, here it is, our inheritance. And this is not the inheritance of Israel. This is a whole new inheritance that is for the church. Until the redemption of those who are God's possession. To the praise of his glory. What a, a, a passage to think about. If People talking about, well, you know, there are 12 steps to salvation. Step one, you must do this. Step two, step nine, step eleven... Right. None of that is true. This is what it is. You believe when you hear the gospel, you believe it, you, as it says in John Acts sixteen thirty one. Uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That's really just that simple. That's all it is. So, so that part right there is the process of how. You are included, remember, in Christ. Not just about salvation, because upon salvation, a result of salvation, is where God baptizes us into the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. He baptizes us. He identifies us with the person of Christ. And that's how we get to be in Christ. Point D. The establishment of Israel in the world was certainly a component part of the Father's plan. Certainly it was. I'm not, And I'm not trying to minimize the importance of what God had to do with Israel. But the, the establishment of the church, well, that is according to his eternal purpose, which he has accomplished in Christ Jesus. Now, I, you know, I kind of mentioned this before. I just want to emphasize that this is a part of what God's plan is. This is how he's calling many sons into glory. And it is the eternal purpose. This is what the whole thing is about. And if you want to read those verses, take some time to read Ephesians 3, 8 through 11, just to see like the marching orders for the church, just to understand what, why we're here and what God has done and what we are heralds of in this age. It is important that you see it. Point E, we must still remember the words of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says about this word. I have told you these things. And we've been dealing with this discourse. These these things are the discourse that he's talking about. So that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world so even though we're in here there's divine intervention in the terms of protection logistical support sustenance right God will he will make a way for you in this world if he is if he has you here he's going to make a way for you here you know he's responsible for us to do that and not to worry we're not here to overcome the world he has already done that and we are in him. Right? We don't have, our objective is not, well, we got to do the same thing Christ did. Uh, we overcome by faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already done the hard work. There's no, no way we can repeat what he's done. But we can grow up. We can grow in grace and, and in knowledge of our Lord. We can reach the fullness and stature of Christ. We can become mature. Right. All of that is a part of our spiritual growth as believers. So, um, I, would, I love this. God is not trying to take us out of the world. and He's saying, to, he understands the Father's plan for us. That he's establishing the church. And even though the church is, doesn't belong down here, we're pilgrims and strangers, as it says, We are not of the world. We don't belong down here any more than Christ is of the world. We're not. Even though that's true, the church is going to be established in this world. At least until he comes to remove us. And when he comes to remove us, we've heard about that. It's called the rapture. And that's going to happen. Where he will call he will the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the shout of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and still remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And this is a comforting passage that we are to comfort comfort one another with these words. So having that thought is where... Um, it makes a lot of sense to recognize where we are, we're in the world, we have, we're standing on the, the accomplishments of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not standing, standing in our own power and our own accomplishments. But we should know, it's going to be trouble in this world. We will suffer for Christ. Anyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will also share in his sufferings. Point number three. So putting it all together... My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, and this last part, but that you protect them from the evil one. So Let's deal with this. We only have a few more points and then we will be done for today. And this will be part of history. So the first one, to protect them, that is the disciples, apostles, is to preserve the church in this evil world. So. I'm going to go to Matthew 16, 18 for this. Not that we have never heard this before, but I just want to point out certain aspects of what Jesus is saying there. Matthew 16, 18. He says, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, he did not build the church on Peter. I just want you to know. He says, on this rock. What's the rock that he's he's talking about? Peter is a little stone. But on this rock, the rock is uh, where he says, blessed are you, in the previous verse, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood by, by my Father in heaven. That's the rock. And this, is, and this is Peter's answer. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's the rock upon which entrance into the church will be conditioned. So... If you're going to be in the church you have to believe in the lord jesus christ just like we saw in ephesians 1 13 and 14 same thing that that is how you enter the church by salvation but what happens after salvation in this age where the holy spirit is here is we're baptized or identified with the person of christ so i just want to read this i will build my church we're back in 1618 And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So it's interesting when we think about where is the church going to be built. Is it going to be built in heaven? No, it's going to be built on the earth. And when it's so when when God carves out a place for the church on earth, all around it, so to speak, is Hades. Hades is said to not be able to overcome the church. So while we're here in this world, Satan will not be able to force us out. Satan will not be able to overcome the church. The church will continue in this world until God calls us through the rapture or through uh, if, if we happen to die before then or if we're persecuted. And we, we succumb to the persecution. Death is just a transfer from one place to another. So it is us leaving this world, but we're going to be absent from the body, present with the Lord. So the gates of Hades will not uh, thwart the Father's plans for the church. That's what this is saying. No matter how you look at this, Satan can't win. He can't beat us. Christ has already overcome the world. And now he's establishing his eternal purpose by bringing many sons into glory. So point B in our notes. So actually, if I go back to John 17, this is where we are in our text. It says, but that you protect them from the evil one. Well, the word one is not a part of, the Greek, it's not really in scripture, it's implied, right? That when it says from the evil, right? So if you look at most translations, we'll say evil one, but really the word one is not there. So in my note here, I said, protect him from the evil. And I say one or world, What what, evil what? So either way you look at it, it speaks of the ruler behind the world system and that's satan satan is the god or the small g of this world the prince of the air right is who satan is over just like we read in job he says well i have authority over all the earth i go back and forth this is my domain and satan uh, he snatched the rulership of this world from adam when adam sinned satan uh, then took the, the authority over this world. So, so this is, when it says protect him from the evil, and we talked about this last week when we said we're not a part of this world. The world, as we said, was, Greek was cosmos, was an orderly arrangement of things. Cosmos is where we get the word cosmetics from, right? If you ever see somebody who has uh, used cosmetics on their face, um, we're hope we're thinking female. If if it's if when they use cosmetics, it's not all over the place. It's like organized. If it's not organized, then people will really look at you as like whoa, you know. Just they got lipstick all up and what is this? You know, it's like a clown would have. And then the eyebrows could be one going up, one going down, right? It's not organized. But that's where we get the word, you know, cosmetics is from cosmos. It's an orderly arrangement of things. But it's not God's orderly arrangement. It's Satan's. So that's why it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's 1 John 2.15. So protect them from the evil. And it's the, our translation is the evil one, which is appropriate. Why? Because Satan is behind The orderly arrangement of these things. And Satan has arranged this world to hate us. Like Christ says in John 15, if the world hates you, just remember, it hated me first, right? I'm the one that is really, uh, the world is really pointing at, not you. It's not about you, it's about me. And you happen to be in me, because I have chosen you out of the world. So now the world hates you too. I hope this is not confusing, right? But <laughs> so if we're they're protecting us from the evil one, he's talking about the the person who is over this world. So even if we were to translate it from the evil world, it'd be the same thing. Because the world being an inanimate object is really it's not talking about the world hates us. It's talking about Satan, who is the arranger of the world, hates us. It's talking about the ruler. Revelation twenty two. Let me just read that. So, so we should be sure, we, we want to be sure who we're talking about. Revelation 20 and verse 2. This is what will happen at the end of the tribulation period. He seized, uh, well I could read 21. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized now. Notice all the names for Satan, just so you know for sure who we're talking about. The dragon, that's a Revelation thing. The ancient serpent, right? Well, that goes all the way back to Genesis, where um, uh, Satan was, you know, in the in the form of a serpent. He was able to. Um, Occup, indwell the serpent and he had access and had a conversation with a the woman there remember at the at the tree that ancient serpent who is the devil the devil means satan is the adversary right so if we're saying that everything god's government is about satan is against it and that's what the word devil means and then or satan Right? This, these are all the names that you will read about. I would just want to be sure you you know who we're talking about here. And it says, and he bound him for a thousand years. So this is, and it says, he threw him into the abyss and locked the sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So so that's, once Satan is taken out of the position, right? Because Christ is going to rule the world. He's not going to rule the world world with Satan in the world. He, he removes Satan, and then he takes rulership of the world. So there, there you have, and we know exactly who he's talking about with all those different names for sure. Point C, the church must contend in the world. Contend means to fight. God may directly take us home. Yes, he may do that. Uh, he may take you home the moment you believed in Christ. You could leave this world. But he leaves some of us here for our testimony in the world. If we read 2 Corinthians 5.10, this is just a thought that I had and I just want to share it with you. 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So, obviously, this is for people who do have opportunity to be in this world. I mean, God could remove you. God removes, sometimes, babies pass away. People who don't have the ability to, or or, or the cognitive ability to understand who Jesus is. And we believe those people are saved. But they might not have any works, per se. So they're not really included. So works, the fact that God gives us opportunity as we live and breathe to serve him, to work and grow and to have our minds transformed right, with his thinking, right, that in and of itself says that we have we are accepting the call to be responsible to God, to grow up in him, to be witnesses, as we discussed, and there's going to be a judgment to determine how we did. Now, the judgment is not about whether we're saved or lost. That's done. The judgment is to determine whether or not we will receive a reward for service. Reward for service is not the same thing as gift. And God knows the difference between a gift. And a reward. I hope we do as well. If we don't, God will tell us in Romans 4, 3, and 4 about what the difference is between a gift and a reward. So for service, for doing, for growing in grace, and allowing God to use us as witnesses in this world, if we do, He will reward us at the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment is only for believers who are already saved and have uh, opportunity to do work for God and and every work will be brought into judgment for sure point D Satan was also paying attention to the discourse of introduction to the church in the world so <clears throat> this is important also another consideration and we've read this before I just want to remind you of it so it's Luke 22 31 and 32 Let's look at it. Luke 22, 31 and 32. It says, this is Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift, notice, all of you as wheat. All of you is referring to the 12, right? And, and we're really the 11 because I think he already did, Judas. He is, he's willing to sift all of you as wheat, but notice what Jesus has done. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers, the, the ones that Satan is also trying to manipulate. So sift as wheat. Now this is sift as wheat is like separating the wheat from the chaff. And that is like uh, grinding them, right? Making... Taking them through the grinder so that the, the chaff is separated from the wheat. Sift as wheat. That's what Satan was desiring to do with the disciples. So when you think about that thought, does Satan know what, what, what the importance of these this group of twelve? That they would become the foundation of the church? Yeah, he was listening to the discourse as well. And he is the one who is against God. Know your enemy. We're trying to learn about what his wiles are. That we are aware of the wiles or, you know, the machinations of Satan. We want to make sure that we are aware of what he's trying to do. And he is, on the other hand, making sure that he's trying, doing his best to attack us. So that's, we see. And what did Jesus do for them? He prayed prayer is important. So, I mean, when you think about this, this is the Father's eternal purpose. Jesus is praying in accord with the Father's eternal purpose. And how does this prayer prayer answered? If you go back to John 17, where we we covered already, Jesus says, none of them is lost. He brought them to the point where he was supposed to i've given them the words you gave me none of them was lost this is here they are and he was talking about the 11 as well point e in our notes so the working of satan in the world and in the world so let's second corinthians 4 3 and 4 let's look at this passage again we just are highlighting the fact that we need protection from the evil one Right, so 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, let's see how he manipulates unbelievers. Now we already, if you know the context, it's about Moses put a veil over his face and all that, and if the veil is removed, they turn to Christ. But look at verse three, and even if our gospel is veiled, right, if people can't see it, it is veiled to those who are perishing. This is a willful thing. Uh, It's willful. Willful from the standpoint of their own free will. The God of this age has blinded the minds of, notice whose minds are being blinded, unbelievers. And people, this is not to say they don't have a choice in the matter. They do. The willful part is the veil part, where we said in verse 3, where they choose to keep the veil, like when Moses is read, they put the veil on because they don't want to see the end of what Uh, was was fading away if you go back to second corinthians 3 so he's picking up from that point and he's saying so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of christ not the glory that was on the face of moses but the glory of christ who is the image of god now i like what it says um, you know, there's so many analogies that Paul, is his, his mind is just bursting with all sorts of ways to express what he wants to say. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of, of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Interesting, as I think about Satan at work trying to keep unbelievers dull to the gospel. Right, so that if they do see the gospel, they're going to see the end of what was old and they're going to see what God is doing in this age for us, which is unique right We' are one in Christ. So also we're going to point F, we are not to be afraid of Satan. I want to I don't want to build up Satan to the point where we think, oh my, you know how can we exist in this world? Oh, I got to be looking over my head like rain is coming down or hail that's gonna hit, hit me or something no. Not at all. Let's read a couple of verses, just to help us understand. We're here by God's divine protection. Every day we're here. We should thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for life, help, and strength. Thank you for keeping us in this world. And uh, so, and the second part of that is not just our thankfulness, but our determination to want to do His will, to want to work according to His plan just like Jesus did when he was here. So Colossians 2, quick verse 15, it says. Let's go there. Colossians 2, 15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So at the cross, Jesus defeated all of the angelic forces, including Satan, he didn't, he didn't, uh, it's not even what happened. He literally triumphed over them. It was a victory. And uh, so it's not like Satan has a leg to stand on anymore. It's just a matter of time before Christ comes, as we saw in Revelation 22, grabs Christ, throws him into the, uh, uh, grabs Christ, where, where Christ grabs Satan, throws him into the abyss. So he is no longer the ruler and authority of this world. Well, I'm sure glad I caught that mistake. (laughs) So, and then there's 1 John 5. Let's go there. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says this. says, For everyone born of God, overcomes the world. So just being a child of God in this age, we are already overcome. So why are we overcomers? Because we identify with the overcomer, we identify with the person of Christ whose victory we share. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So as soon as we put our faith in Christ, we're born again and we are already overcomers. Who is who is it that overcomes the world? This question John asks. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So all, so when you look at verse 5, it explains verse 4. Verse 4, everyone who, you know, who, who uh, is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. What does that mean? How does it work? Well, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. All In this age, automatically, God does everything necessary for you to function. And then I'm going to close with this one verse in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, and verses 3 through 5. Classic verses, indeed. Uh, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we're in dangerous territory, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish, notice, demolish strongholds. That's the height of Satan's power, the seat of his power. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And take captive, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, do we have power in this world? Absolutely. God is, once we grow up, we learn how to use the weapons that are available to us like it says we demolish <laughs> and say we, we just are in some kind of fight. No, we're overwhelmingly victorious when it comes to what God has given us. We are more than conquerors, as Paul says, through him who loved us. So on this, we're going to conclude this week, but the thought is that yes, God is satisfied with the work of Christ and as, as Christ gave us this introduction to this new age, we are standing right now on the ground of which he has told us. And we are standing in his power. We are here by his strength. It is by his grace that we exist in this world. So with that thought, we are going to conclude this thought and continue in John chapter 17 next week. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are so grateful that you have provided for us. We Thank you for not having to worry about our safety, but we can just continue to go out and fulfill your will as witnesses in this area. We, we know that we are in dangerous territory. We recognize that all of this is dangerous ground for us. So as Job didn't recognize that he had divine protection, but we do, we understand that it is you who keep us in this world, who protect us. We thank you for that. Thank you for Christ. We pray for wisdom as we walk in this dangerous world that we have. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Amen.